Very good morning students. I hope all of you are doing well and I hope uh, all of you are maintaining the social distance and taking the necessary precautions that are important for all of us in these times of uh, the pandemic. So let us continue with the concept of legal maxims. We have discussed a lot of maxims and uh, still a lot remains to be discussed. In that series uh, let us start with a new legal maxim today and let us see what this maxim is all about. The maxim that I'm talking about today and that we are going to be focusing our energies on is ratio decidendi. R A T I O ratio decidendi D E C I D E N D I. So it consists of two words and it is pronounced as ratio decidendi. Some also pronounce it as decidendi. but uh, generally it is pronounced as ratio decidendi so what is the meaning of the doctrine what is the meaning um, and applicability of the doctrine that is precisely what we are going to be focusing on in the next 5 to 7 minutes so this maxim basically means what has been the reason or the rationale for the decision this maxim basically focuses its uh, energies or focuses its uh, uh, so to say uh, uh, its single line focus is basically on the decision given by the judges uh, whenever a judge of uh, the superior court maybe of an inferior court as well but basically it applies to decisions given by high court and supreme court so uh, whenever a judge gives a decision what is the ratio of the decision is generally uh, the point in question so ratio decidendi is the point in a case which determines the judgment or the principle which the case establishes please understand it carefully ratio means that point in a case that means that particular point in a particular judgment which determines the judgment or the principle which the case establishes so it is the central or the focal point of the judgment which a student of law or which any person who is dealing with the case is supposed to find out again i am emphasizing ratio decidendi is the point in a case which determines the judgment or the principle which the case establishes okay so please try and understand ratio decidendi is a legal rule which is derived from and which is consistent with those parts of legal reasoning within a judgment on which the outcome of a case depends i'll try to explain it to you in a pretty simple term in a pretty simple way in fact see legal reasoning basically means uh, you are trying to find out the legal reasoning okay the the thinking of the judge in that particular case and that particular thinking and reasoning is your focal area you are finding out that particular reasoning in a judgment on which the outcome of the case has depended that means you are you are basically trying to find out in that case what is the thinking of the judge which ultimately led him to the decision that he finally made in that case that is the ratio of a case okay it is a basically a legal phrase which refers to the legal moral political and social principles used by the court to compose the rationale of a particular judgment okay 
so you have to basically understand that uh, when the judge gave the judgment in that particular case what was his thinking you know thinking in in the legal sense in the moral sense in the political sense uh, what were the social principles that uh, the judge applied to finally come to the decision in that particular judgment to finally arrive at the decision in that particular judgment so if you find out that then we say that you have uh, ultimately been able to find the ratio of the case see uh, along with the ratio uh, in a case there is generally a term which is also used uh, which is known by the name of obiter dicta which is o b i t e r obiter dicta d i c t a so what is obiter dicta we need to uh, be clear about this obiter dicta uh see what happens in obiter dicta obiter dicta is a general passing statement which is made by a court okay it is just a it is just a uh, you know observation made by a court in a case and uh, it has no legal binding or it has no impact on the judgment in that uh, particular case it does not affect affect the judgment as such it uh, is only a passing reference made by a court uh, or a judge in a particular case and it is very different from ratio we just discussed what ratio is ratio is uh, when you try to find out the reasoning in a particular case you know those uh, those legal moral social political principles that led the judge to decide the case in the way that he finally decided that case whereas obiter dicta is uh, just a passing reference you know just a superficial passing reference made by a court in its judgment and uh, <clears throat> excuse me and uh, it has no binding uh so to say effect on uh, what the judge has finally said in that case it really does not affect the judgment in that case see i'll try to explain with the help of an example suppose the judge in that particular case uh, just makes a passing reference that uh, you know all uh, politicians are corrupt okay that that does not really mean that politicians are corrupt but he's just made a statement so you you cannot say that this is the ratio of the case and uh, now it will be final that all the politicians are corrupt no it's just a passing reference it has nothing to do with the outcome of the case it is just a passing reference or uh, a light observation made by the court which has not impacted the judgment see ratio is ultimately impacting the judgment in fact it is the ratio which is uh, leading the judge to that particular judgment whereas uh, obiter is just just a passing reference see ratio decision die as a general rule is binding on courts of lower jurisdiction uh, through the doctrine of stare decisis uh, whatever decision has been given uh, in the form of a ratio it is binding on the courts of lower jurisdiction so suppose a high court uh, of a specific state be it uttarakhand high court of uttarakhand based nainital has given a decision so the ratio of that particular case is going to be binding on all the courts of lower jurisdiction that means all the district judge courts all the courts of civil judge junior uh, and senior division this decision is going to be binding on them and similarly if the supreme court of india gives a decision the ratio of that case is going to be binding on all the courts in india be it the high court be it the low courts fine so this is uh, applicable by the principle of or the doctrine of stare decisis which basically means that the decision given by a superior court is binding on the decisions uh, is binding on the lower courts so the process of determining the ratio decision die uh, please understand is a correctly thought analysis of what the courts actually decided essentially based on the legal points about which the parties in the case actually fought okay all other statements about the law uh, 
in uh, uh, in uh, the court's opinion and all pronouncements that do not form uh, part of the court's rulings uh, on the issues actually decided in that particular case are obiter dicta and are not the rules for which that particular case stands okay so please understand once again you are making you know uh, different statements about the law uh and the court's opinions and pronouncements which are not part of the court's ruling on that issue actually decided in that particular case are all obiter dicta that means they are just passing references they are just references made uh on the go they have actually no uh, uh outcome uh, they have no impact on the judgment made by a court in that particular case so they are all obiter dicta and whatever remains is of course then ratio decedent die so please be very clear about this concept uh, as students of law as researchers in law you will be asked to find out the ratio of a particular case so applying these uh, uh, principles that we've just studied you need to find out uh, what the ratio of the case was you need to find out what was the legal reasoning uh, that the judgment uh, was based upon you need to find out what the thinking of the judge in terms of legal moral political uh, social principles was and um, uh, what these principles ultimately led to uh, in the form of the judgment that finally came in that case and uh, as i just told you obiter dicta is nothing but a decision given by a court in passing which he has made uh, just in uh, passing and has no impact on the a uh, judgment which finally comes out in that case so i hope uh, the concept of uh, ratio decedent die and the concept of uh, obiter dicta is clear to you uh, with that we move to the second concept uh, for the day which is please write it down carefully damnum sine injuria esse potest i'll repeat it damnum d a m n u m sine s i n e injuria i n j u r i a s a e double s e potest p o t e s t damnum sine injuria s potest now what does this doctrine actually mean and where is the applicability of this doctrine see please understand it is the law of torts where we find the applicability of this doctrine uh, i hope all of you are studying the subject of law of torts which again is a very important and um, a very interesting subject also the doctrine that we'll be studying now we'll be discussing now has its applicability in the law of torts now what is it that the doctrine actually means and uh, what is it that the uh, doctrine actually wants to convey that is going to be our focus of uh, concern that is going to be our focus area for the next few minutes see this doctrine basically says that there may be a damage or injury inflicted without any legal wrong being done okay try and understand this doctrine says there may be damage or injury inflicted without any legal wrong being done this principle is basically uh saying that a claimant who has suffered damage in consequence of the act of another may not be entitled to recover compensation because the defendant's act was not in law wrongful i am again emphasizing please understand there has been a damage or injury inflicted upon a person but no legal wrong has been done so if this important component of legal wrong is missing then even if there is a damage caused to the person he will in law not be entitled to recover any compensation or recover any damages from the person who has allegedly caused him some damage 
okay the reason behind that is that he may have suffered some damage in consequence of the act of the other person but he is not entitled to recover the compensation because the defendant's act that means the other person's act the person b's act against a was not wrongful in the eyes of law that means it was not illegal in the eyes of law so if the act was not illegal then of course you are not bound to uh recover damages from the person who caused that act fine you may have suffered damages you may have uh, you know actually uh, had a loss because of the act of the other person but because the act of that person was not in the eyes of law wrongful so you are not entitled to recover any damages that is what this uh, particular principle or this particular legal maxim says now this is well explained with the help of a case uh, which is an english case and a pretty old english case and a pretty famous english case uh, also the name of the case is mayor of bradford mayor m a y o r of bradford versus pickles pickles is spelled as p e i c k l e s the citation is 1895 within bracket bracket closed ac 857 Now what happened in this particular case was that um, there was this person Pickles uh, whose house was uh, uh, whose house was there in this specific locality and uh, what he did was that because the corporation did not um, allot him uh, a certain contract what he did was that uh, the water which was flowing from under his house he uh, intercepted that ground water Uh, which was uh, flowing under his house through dif- different undefined channels um, to an area owned by the corporation okay so what he had done was he had uh, intercepted that water course which was flowing under his house he had you know made some alterations which in fact affected the water supply to an area which was owned by that corporation so he did an act in his own property but the consequence of the act was felt by the other person in this case that other person was the corporation the corporation's water supply got disrupted but this person had not committed any legal wrong why because he had disrupted the water channels under his house he had not gone to somebody else's property to disrupt those water channels or he had not done anything uh Uh, in somebody else's property he had done that only under his own house yes of course a damage was caused to the corporation in the form that uh, the corporation's water supply got disrupted but there was nothing which was legally incorrect in this particular act as such when the corporation sued him uh, in a court of uh, law uh, which finally you know the matter finally reached the house of lords uh, the house of lords said that the land owner had committed no breach of the law in acting as he did so Although the municipal authority uh, suffered damage, okay, how did they suffer damage? Because the water supply, which was coming from Pickles' house uh, to an area owned by them, got disrupted. But because they had not suffered any wrong in law, so they were not entitled to damages. So they were not entitled to compensation. So what does this maxim tell you? This maxim tells you that the act that the person is doing must also be accompanied by a legal wrong. if you want to claim compensation in a court of law suppose you are a suppose b has caused uh, some damage to you in consequence of an act done by him so in order to recover damages 
in a court of law you have to prove two things number 1 that the act was done number 2 act was done by b number 3 the act caused you uh, damages and number 4 that you actually suffered legal injury as well so if you are able to prove only the first three and if you are not able to prove the fourth that means that you uh, suffered damage as a result of a legal injury that means legally also the act was incorrect if you are not able to prove that then of course you are not going to get any compensation in a court of law and this particular case highlights that fact absolutely correctly and this case uh, highlights that fact in a very clear way okay so that is all about uh, this maxim the maxim called damnum sine injuria esse potest okay now moving on to the next doctrine for the day the third doctrine is pro bono publico this doctrine again is a latin doctrine which is generally used which basically means for the public good see whenever a lawyer or any professional okay we limit it uh, only to the you know uh, professional services as rendered by lawyers whenever a lawyer undertakes a professional work voluntarily without payment or maybe with payment but at a very reduced rate bahut hi kam fees le raha hai ya bahut hi kam charges hain to hum bolte hain that uh, he is doing this uh, service pro bono that means he is providing his professional services free of cost or he is providing his professional services uh, which he is undertaking voluntarily at a very very nominal rate at a very very suppose suppose uh, you know hypothetically his fees is 1 lakh and he just charges 100 rupees or 500 rupees token fees then he is literally providing that services that service pro bono pro bono means for the public good without charging any fees whatsoever or a very little fees for that particular cause otherwise uh, all of us know that big lawyers or uh, even lawyers who are working in the district courts charge a hefty fee for um, any case that they undertake but whenever a lawyer uh, doesn't charge anything for uh, rendering his uh, legal services or whenever a lawyer uh, charges a very very nominal fee for rendering the legal services then we say that he has done the act pro bono and uh, let us compare the situation in india see in india it is not mandatory for you to render pro bono services yes many lawyers do render services free of cost uh, because of uh, their own uh, philanthropic ideas because of their own ideals uh, which uh, they believe in that they must contribute to the society and they must not always charge fees and especially in cases where uh, the people involved are poor and not in a condition to pay a hefty fee if you are fighting for them without charging any fee you are doing it pro bono that means for the public good as i was telling you uh, if you compare uh, pro bono uh, with us in us in fact many states have made it mandatory that uh, whenever uh, you are practicing under a specific bar association in that particular state in a particular year you have to render pro bono services mandatorily uh i do not exactly know how much uh, is the you know percentage of cases that you need to act pro bono but uh, but hypothetically speaking suppose you take up 10 cases in a year i think uh, they uh, mandatorily make it uh, compulsory for you to at least take one or two cases free of cost pro bono aisa india mein nahi hai india mein there is no specific law or legislation which asks you to render your services pro bono ki aapko force karte hain ki pro bono services aap render kariye but in india also many lawyers many many lawyers uh, render their services pro bono that means uh, majority of these lawyers 90 to 95% of the cases are of course charged 
uh, the fee is charged and in 5 to 10% of the cases these lawyers will not take any fees so whenever they are not taking any fees they are giving or rendering their professional services free of cost see it is it is very common uh, not only in the legal profession um, uh, it is now increasingly witnessed in other professions also like architecture marketing technology uh, you know strategy consulting firms all these are also rendering pro bono services um, uh, in fact you see pro bono services unlike uh, the traditional volunteerism uh, uses the specific skills of professionals to provide services to those who are unable to afford them so legally speaking it can be described as the designation given to free legal work done by an attorney that means a lawyer for indigent clients and uh, for religious charitable and other non profit entities so jab bhi aap free of cost basically apni legal services render kar rahe hain aap pro bono act kar rahe hain so pro bono jab bhi word bola jaye it should immediately strike in your mind that pro bono means for the public good wherein you are not charging anything for uh, the services that you render of course the legal services that you render uh, or you are charging a very very nominal fee for uh, for the uh, legal services that you are rendering to anybody so that is all about pro bono and the last uh, legal maxim for the day that we'll cover the fourth legal maxim is known by the name of uh, quid pro quo and uh, spelling it out quid q u i d quid pro p r o pro quo q u o quid pro quo okay this maxim uh, basically means uh you know it's a latin term it's most often used to denote uh, more or less equal exchange or substitution of goods or services again i'm repeating this is a latin maxim which is uh, uh, generally used to denote more or less equal exchange or substitution of goods or services you know basically it means favor for favor or this for that you have done one favor the other party does you a favor you have done this the other party does that so a favor for a favor uh, or this for that see in law it most often uh, you know uh, means uh, more or less uh, equal change or substitution of goods or services uh, law mein hum kaise apply karte hain it's basically uh, uh referred to as more or less equal exchange or substitution of goods or services see it is the mutual consideration that passes between two parties to a contractual agreement uh thereby rendering the agreement valid and binding कंसिडरेशन आप पढ़ ही रहे होंगे लॉ ऑफ कॉन्ट्रैक्ट में सो आई नॉट गो डीप इन टू दैट प्लीज अंडरस्टैंड in legal parlance in a contract basically it is the mutual consideration that passes between two parties to a contractual agreement thereby rendering the agreement valid and binding so quid pro quo or the exchange of valuable consideration is required uh, for the formation of a valid contract between individuals who are not merchants okay uh, you have to prove in the court of law i did this and he did that i gave him suppose you know 100 kgs of rice and uh, uh, he gave me 5000 rupees as a consideration for those 100 kgs of rice then only the contract is legally binding and enforceable in a court of law so quid pro quo i gave him goods and uh, he gave me the money in return of those goods ye to aaj ki terminology hai pehle goods were exchanged for goods so quid pro quo i gave him 100 kgs of rice he gave me 50 kgs of sugar so it was quid pro quo so the requirement of mutual consideration or the exchange of uh, something of value 
indicates basically the sincerity of the parties their intent to adhere to the contract between them between them and that is uh, what uh, the quid pro quo concept is all about okay so basically applies uh, in the contract uh, domain in the law of contract and this term basically means uh, this for that favor for favor you give uh, certain goods to some person he gives consideration to you for that then quid pro quo has happened then that contract is enforceable in the eyes of law then that contract is valid then that contract is binding okay so uh, i'll just uh, finish off with one small uh, uh maxim which is a french phrase the last maxim for the day is a french phrase it is not a, la- a latin maxim and that is raison deter i'll spell it out raison r a i s o n deter d e t r e it is basically a french phrase which means uh, uh basically means uh, reason for being or the purpose that justifies a thing's existence okay raison deter simple sa matlab hota hai it's it's a general term which is used you know basically everywhere it doesn't have a specific application to a specific area of law it's a general term it's a french phrase which means reason for being or the purpose that justifies a thing's existence theek hai jaise hum bol dete hain ki suppose a person's you know a person just um, is uh, literally in love with surfing or some other sport so you say surfing became his reason deter surfing became the reason for his existence that means uh, he uh, literally loved the sport so much that he could not live without it it is in that sense that you use this term surfing became his reason deter so again i am telling you it's it's a pretty common and uh, pretty widely used term Uh, which has application application literally everywhere you cannot limit it or uh, you know control it uh, to a specific area of law it is a french phrase which means reason for being or the purpose that justifies a thing's existence that's it for the day uh, we've discussed uh, five important legal maxims students please go through uh, these uh, concepts these maxims again and again if you have uh, any questions or queries we can uh, obviously discuss it in the synchronous classes um, uh, which are going on regularly along with these asynchronous lectures thank you students